Amen. You may be seated. In the name of the Lord, insecure. Get your feet done. Get your feet done. If I can draw your attention to verse number 6 here in John chapter 13, Jesus is washing his disciples' feet. And in verse 6, he comes to Simon Peter. And Simon Peter says to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Like most Americans, I have back pain. Many Americans suffer from back pain. I have back pain. I have some lower back pain. A lot of it is directly a result of of, an accident I got into playing football and hurt my leg and a whole bunch of other stuff. And so I do have back pain. And so as a result of the pain, there's all kinds of stuff that I've done to try to address that and deal with it. And one of those things is going to a chiropractor. I don't know if you've ever been to a chiropractor. I don't know if you've ever gone to one. I don't know if you feel like it's all just a bunch of hooey, but I'm here to tell you that a good chiropractor can change your life. As much as the, uh, there's an anointing in the word and there's anointing in Jesus and there's anointing in church and there's an anointing in praise, I will contend that a good chiropractor is anointed. There's something about cracking you. There's something about shifting you. There's something about the work they can do on you. If you think it's all a bunch of hooey, you're wrong. And especially as you get some gray, especially as you get a little older, chiropractic might not be a bad idea, not a part of the sermon, but I'm just throwing it out there for free. Finding a good chiropractor is not a bad idea. And, uh, and so I've been going to a chiropractor now for the last four or five years, and it really has helped me. And I was at a point where I was starting to get some injections in my back and that kind of stuff. It was just getting bad. And finally, I just went to a chiropractor and and going to a chiropractor for the last six years, I haven't needed an injection anyway. I don't want to get ahead of myself. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I've gone to a good chiropractor. Here's my point. A couple of weeks ago, maybe three, four weeks ago, my chiropractor said to me, we need to take a look at your feet. We need to take a look at your feet. And he's got this little thing in the corner where they can scan your feet. And I've seen it, and I've looked at it. And to be quite honest, I've always thought, you're just trying to upsell me on something else. And I'm good. And Because a good chiropractor is talking to you about all kinds of stuff. There's other little vitamins they want you to take and little herbs and different things they want you to do. And he says to me, we need to take a look at your feet. He had said this to me several years ago. He said, Pastor Andy, at some point, We're going to have to take a look at your feet. At some point, we're going to have to scan your feet because I'm here to tell you that a part of the pain that you're dealing with is that there's something happening with your feet that needs to be addressed. When he first said it to me, I just said, thank you very much. I'm good. Crack me and let me leave. I'm in here. Crack me. Roller table me. And let me get out of here. We're not talking about my feet. But about a month ago, the pain in my back was so bad that when he said to me, we need to look at your feet, I said to him, okay, let's go ahead and take a look at my feet. And after scanning my feet, and getting me the stuff for my feet. I have never felt the way I feel now after having dealt with my feet. 
I took for granted that my calves were affected by my feet. I took for granted that my hips were being impacted by my feet. I took for granted that what was going on in my shoulder started with my feet. I took for granted that what was happening in my back really wasn't just about my back. What it really was about was also my feet. Now, Jesus is on his way to the cross and he says to the disciples, listen, I want you to take your shoes off because I need to take a look at your feet. Now, I know that we just want to cover it over. Oh, they wash feet and it's a part of it and he's an act of service and he's trying to show servanthood and he's serving and he's going to do likewise. I got you on that. Sure, no doubt about it, but I think there's a deeper meaning to it besides just the act of service. I think that Jesus said, I need to look at your feet because... One of the worst things you can ever do is keep Jesus from your feet. So when Peter said, Lord, are you about to wash my feet? Now, if you're in this room and you're a woman, if you're watching me around the world and you're a woman... Especially, oh, I don't want to say especially if you're a woman of color, all of women. But if you're watching this and you're a woman, you're in the room and you're a woman sitting down in a chair, taking off your shoes and socks and letting somebody go to work on your feet is almost a moment of relaxation and service and pampering. It's something you think about doing when you go on vacation. You are like, when I'm there, I'm going to go to the spa and I'm going to get my feet done. But if you're in this room and you are a dude, if you're watching this and you're a guy, and a woman has ever said to you, let's get our feet done. I need a witness in the building. After you check your wallet and make sure you still have your man card, after making sure she know that you really are a man, after you might go the next morning after you showed her, oh, I'm a man, all right. But, it went, but for you to sit down and take your shoes off and your socks and pull your raggedy, scraggly, ashy, itchy, Little nail on the pinky toe. Talons. Who am I talking to? Toenails the wrong color. Toenails that curl over. Dude, you don't cut them till they start clicking and clacking on the outside of the floor. I don't know who I'm talking to. For you to sit in a chair and expose your feet. That's not relaxing to a dude. 
Now, if you've ever had it done and you're sitting there and you're getting your girls looking at you like, isn't this wonderful, Josh? And you're like, <laughs> try not to be tickled. And they're like, would you like a color? No, I don't want no color. That, that, if you've ever had that done, as a dude, you can rest well and acknowledge with Peter because Peter said, now hold on a minute, Lord. Are you trying to mess with my feet? This is Peter. Peter's a fisherman. Peter, Peter has grown up in a world in which everybody walking around with some sandals and some dust and some dry. Peter has spent his life on the floorboards of a boat with nothing on his feet. I would contend that the bottom of Peter's feet is not nothing like your feet. As ugly as you think your feet is, dude, it ain't got nothing on Peter's feet. Jesus says, yeah, yeah, can I see your feet? And Peter is so offended by it that Peter says, nah, <laughs> Lord, are you about to wash my feet? And Peter, Jesus says, yeah, that's what I'm about to do. If it was only about service, then perhaps he would have said, all right, I mean, I'm washing everybody else's feet. I've made the point. But it's deeper than that so that when Peter says, nah, you're not washing my feet, Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you can't be down. I know this is really hard for us because we don't really like anything that has any kind of contingency attached to it. We live in a world now in which everything is for everybody. We don't want no exclusivity. We don't want nothing excluded. We don't want nobody telling us where we can't go, what we can't do, what we can't be a part of. We think everything should just be free. Half of us are watching HBO Max on other people's accounts. Anyway, half of us. Oh, I need a witness. Half of us is on somebody else's Netflix. Tell the truth. Half of us is on somebody else's Hulu special. You won't pay the $7.99 to have your own Netflix, you cheap son. You won't even pay the $7.99. You so think it should be free. How dare they exclude you from watching it? Because we don't like the any kind of, we don't like the idea of any kind of qualification. It's a little uncomfortable for Jesus to say to us, either I wash your feet or leave. That's hard for us. Because we just want Jesus to be like, la, la. We just want Jesus to say, oh, it don't really matter. Oh, it doesn't matter. No, no. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. This is important because I want somebody in the tomorrows to acknowledge that it is important for Jesus to see your feet. Can Jesus see your feet Can kingdom get to your feet? Are you only interested 
And us being the chiropractic office that snaps you together so you can go back to what you already do. Or is it possible for us to get you to allow God to look at your foundation? Why is Jesus washing feet? He's washing feet because your foundation has to be addressed. And what's happened to us is that we have made church all interior decorating. This is like an HGTV show in which all you want is a makeover. And you just want us to come in with new paint and new curtains and new furniture and not address the fact that you've got septic problems in the basement. And the smell that we smell is not a matter of getting some potpourri. We got to get some poo out. Can't put no deodorant on funky body. What I'm saying to you is, is that at some point, this thing has got to look at your feet. There's an analogy that I used to give because I've preached this a lot because it's apropos. When I first moved to Durham and I first moved to the area, I bought a house in Durham, not that far from Jordan High School. And uh, for those of you that are watching, we're in the Raleigh-Durham area, North Carolina. This ain't Charlotte. This is Raleigh-Durham. And so I moved. I bought this house, and uh, we were doing some work in the basement, and I wanted the basement to have a great big wide-open concept. So I was in the basement, and there were some columns that I was like, if I get rid of these columns then I'll be able to have a wide open concept down here. And I was about to knock these columns down and get them out of my way because I wanted an open room down there for the kids to play. But it just was too much work. And I decided it's going to be too much work to take those columns out. I don't feel like doing that. I'll just paint around it. And so that's just what I did. Oh, it's not a big deal. And about maybe three months, three, maybe a, maybe a year or two later, I brought a contractor in and we were down in the basement and I was talking about some other stuff. And I said, you know, when I first bought this house, I was thinking about moving these two, like just getting rid of these two columns right here because I wanted the room to be a big open space. And he said, which columns are you talking about? And I said, these, these two columns right here. He said, no, no, no. I said, which columns are you talking about? I said, these columns. He said, are you trying to tell me that you were about to take these columns out? And I said, yeah. He said, yeah, that's a good idea that you didn't do that because these columns are holding up the house. You can't take columns out just for decorative purposes. <laughs> if you're in a house and you don't like a column of mine, I suggest that you check with somebody first to make sure that the column isn't something that is reinforcing the structure. If you ever come to this building, for all of you that are here, if you ever come to this building, if you ever come here, you will notice there's a column, there's a column, there's a column, there's a column, there's a column there, there's a column there. There were columns here. The reason why there's that great big white thing on the top is because to take those columns out 
we had to reinforce the structure from above if we were going to remove those columns. Costs money to take these columns out. You can still see them because we just cut them. There's one right there. One right there. We just cut them. Costs money to take them out. We didn't just take them out. We had to reinforce it first to take them out. I asked the contractor, I said, now if I had taken them out, what would have happened? He said, it wouldn't have fell in right away. He said, but what would have happened? He said, is that you would have started to see the seams along the line start to, your baseboards would have started to pull away. He said, you would have started to see stuff going on. The floor would start creaking. I trust you're with me in my analogy. I know I'm giving quite a few this morning, but I would contend that some of us are hearing creaky floorboards in our lives because either the foundation was never placed there or you did something or somebody did something to take it out. The longer I'm on this planet, the longer I am alive, 53, help me Holy Ghost, the longer I'm alive, the more I realize that most fixes are not quick. Most of us in this room, most of us who are watching around the world need a fix that's quicker than a quick fix. Most of us are addressing childhood issues, childhood loss. Half of us are married to somebody because of childhood problems. Half of us are dealing with stuff because we are trying to heal a lack that has always been there. Matter of fact, if you're not aware of it, you can do it and not know. You grew up around crazy and you end up dating crazy. You don't realize that the part of the reason why you're doing that is because because of them, you're trying to heal that. We take the foundation for granted. We take the foundation for granted so much that we take the foundation of Christ for granted. We look at Jesus, we think about being like Christ, and we take his foundation for granted. We just figure he's the Messiah, so he got it like that. But even Jesus needed to be baptized. Even Jesus needed the Holy Ghost. If Jesus Christ Needed to see the Holy Ghost fall. You know you need the Holy Ghost. Who am I talking to? Lord, let your spirit fall on all of us right now. If the Messiah needed the spirit of God. If before Jesus healed anybody, did a miracle, fed anyone, opened a blinded eye, raised anybody from the dead, before he did anything, he goes to John and says, John, I need you to baptize me. John says, wait a minute, my baptism is about repentance. You ain't got nothing to repent for. Jesus says, that's all right. I'm trying to show you got to get stuff in the right order. 
You got to get your foundation right. Let's get you in some water, take you down, bring you back up. Let's, let's let the Holy Ghost fall. Jesus heard a voice that said, this is my son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. And so, especially on baby dedication Sunday, this was important because the foundation, the first six to seven years of the child's life is when their personality is being formed. You need to learn to teach them how to self-soothe because this is when you learn it. You learn how to be patient now. Anybody learn patience from their mama? I need a witness in the building. I said, anybody learn patience from their mama? Anybody have a mama who had a small little attitude? If you expected her to just jump the minute she said, you, you said, hey, I need some juice. My mother would be like, mm-hmm, you won't die. I'll get you juice in a minute. Oh, I wish I Anybody hear that? In a minute. You get some juice in a minute. Anybody? You get juice in a minute. Mommy, I'm hungry. I'll get you something in a minute. Sit your little happy hips there and swing your legs. I'll be there in a minute. And don't get an attitude, oh Lord. Don't get upset. You won't be getting no juice. Oh, since you like that, you're going to get some water. <laughs> Mommy, I want some milk. I'll be there in a minute. I'm going to get you juice in a minute. I'm going to finish doing what I'm doing first. So you won't think the whole world revolves around, oh Lord. So you won't start to thinking that the world owes you milk and that the whole world revolves around you. You can wait two minutes to get some milk. You won't die. That there is an important role that the father and the son Jesus hears the Father say, I love you. Now that's awesome. This ain't even in the message, son. Uh, the Lord's taking me someplace else. God help me. That, that Jesus hears the Father say, this is my son. So number one, a part of this foundation is who claims you? Who owns you? Who says you are mine? Now, I know we want this from God, and I'm so glad that the passage there in 2 Timothy says that God's inscription stands solid. The Lord knows them do or him do or his. Praise God for that. No doubt about it. But I would contend that one of the reasons why we are so insecure is because we don't know who claims us. For somebody to say, you are mine. This is my son. This is my daughter. This is what that means. There was a time in human history where your sense of self was connected to where you were from. You could quote your family for several generations. 
You knew how long your family had been in place. You were of the Igbo tribe. You were of a particular tribe, and the tribe is what made you who you were. Go to Africa and talk to somebody real. They'll tell you what tribe they're from. Before what church they go to, they'll tell you what their family background is. Because there's something about the ownership of family. God says, I want everybody to know this is my son. This is my son whom I love. So that means that the love is big. Your child feeling claimed by you. Your, your child feeling like... You, that, that, you're, that, that you belong, that they belong to you, you feeling like you belong to that group, that's big. Feeling love from them, that's big. That's huge. Feeling like they love you no matter what. Any of us that were raised that weren't raised feeling that unconditional love or that just overwhelming love or that amazing love, there's a part of our foundation that's missing. Something's missing if you don't get that love. One of the challenges for us, though, is we don't want the last part, and that is the in him I am well pleased. Not enough just to be owned and claimed, not enough just to be loved. You also have to be taught how to be pleasing. At some point, you will have to start to teach your son this is what pleases me. This is what does not please me. This is pleasing behavior. This is behavior that is not pleasing. There are several ways that you communicate that. You communicate that with your words. You communicate that with your face. Talk to me. Your face. I know I'm not the only one whose mama had a face. My mom had a look of incredulity. It was absolute shock and unbelief. It was a look that said, oh, no, you didn't. Look at you like you have lost your entire mind. Like, did you really just come in here? You'll never teach what's pleasing, always smiling. I got to get off, off, of the, off, the, off of the parenting. But what I'm saying to you is that there is a foundation that comes from this. And what we realize is that when Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and after fasting 40 nights and 40 nights, he's hungry, and the tempter comes to him and says, if you are the Son of God, the first thing that the enemy tempts him around is his identity. You just finished getting baptized. You just got the Spirit. And you just heard God say you're his Son in whom you love, and he loves you, and he's pleased with you. The first words out the enemy's mouth is, are you really God's son? Is that really real? Why does he do that? He does that because he knows that if he can shake you at your feet, he can shake you everywhere. 
he gets you to doubt who you are, then the rest of you will fall fast. When the enemy comes to Jesus, he comes to him at a feet level. He says, what I want to try to do is mess with your feet. I know you just heard God say that you're his son, but if you really are the son of God, let's see something. Because we take for granted how powerful the foundation of Christ was for Christ. We think Jesus just rolled out and just started doing miracles without confidence in him. Even this passage here in John 13, it says that Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. He knew that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and began to wash his disciples' feet. The ability to serve begins with a knowledge that you're from God, that you're returning from God, that your power's from God. Any of us that can't serve, it's because you're not really sure where you're from, you're not really sure where you're going, and you're not really sure where your power is. You can easily serve if you know where you're from, If you know where you're going and you know where you really get your power from, service ain't nothing. If you are shook about bringing somebody some water, it's because you don't know where you're from, you don't know where you're going, and you don't know where your power really comes from. You are shook carrying somebody's bag, it's because you don't know where you're from. You don't know where you're going, and you don't know where your power is from. As a matter of fact, I would contend, if you really are powerful, then you show how bad you are by serving somebody. Oh, I didn't get no amens on that one. But then you really show something when you serve. I remember when my best friend was starting his new church there in Denver. And after five years, now he started his new church and it's grown like crazy. And I wanted to be there for the first couple of services as they were setting up and breaking down. And there was a couple of times when I actually pushed something in. Not nothing too heavy. Help us, Holy Ghost. But I actually pushed something in and helped them do some. I was helping to break down a little bit. Not necessarily because he needed me to, but because I wanted to show that if somebody like me was willing to come and serve my friend, I recognize who I am, I know where I'm going, and I know what kind of power I have. And so now, for me to serve is powerful. I would contend. You are a shaky, weak person if you can't serve nobody. You are insecure if you can't do something for someone else. It's a sign that you don't know where you're from. You don't know where you're going. And you don't really know where your power is. 
If you really got it going on, everybody don't have to know your name. Oh, who am I talking to this morning? If you really, really got, if you really have money, everybody ain't got to know. If you have to bling every second, you might be broke. You may be broke. Methinks you just protest too much. There's a lot of folk who got money and you would never know because they don't care about you knowing they have money. Can you get your feet done? What's interesting to me about, and I know everybody just expects me to talk about relationships, and I haven't done it in years, but when we talk about insecure, I don't know if you saw the show, but when we talk about it, what's so interesting to me about almost all the relationships is the foundation of almost all of them, positive or negative, were based on whether or not somebody was secure in who they were. I will contend that your relationships with your friends won't be very strong if you don't know you're from God, know you're returning to God, and know where your power is from. If you don't know where you're from, don't know where you're going, and don't know where your really power comes from, you will end up in a messed up situation with your own child. Some of us have rough relationships with our parents because our parents are insecure. I got to leave that alone. Some of us got insecure mamas. You, you ain't got to raise your hand. You keep it down. Some of us have insecure mamas. Some of our mamas, they don't just need acknowledgement and gratitude. They need praise. Some of us as parents... We don't just need acknowledgement. We need praise. Some of us, if we don't deal with us, we'll drive everybody around us crazy. We want to love somebody else, but even the Bible says that you love your neighbor as you love yourself. And Ephesians, Paul says, dudes, you're going to love your wife the way you love your own body. So loving a spouse is also going to be based on the way you love yourself. So if you can't love you, it's going to be very hard for you to love your neighbor and love your baby and love your mama. Hard to love your daddy when you don't love you. You're still holding your father for what he did. I got you. I understand. I'm, I wasn't in your situation, but might I contend, the stronger you get and the more secure you get and the more confident you get and the more powerful you get, the more grace you ought to have. You never heard his side. I got to move on. You got to love you. How do I love me? Let me count the ways. Give you a couple of things because really, the greatest love of all is easy to achieve. Learning to love yourself. 
It is the greatest love of all. See, with the Lord, help us, Holy Ghost. Learning to love yourself is the greatest love you can have. Before you're ready to love a woman, you better love yourself. You better belong to you first. You're not ready to love a man if you don't love you. You're not ready to love a guy if you don't love yourself. So let me give you some ways to love you. Let me tell you how I try to love me. And it's not always easy to love me because I'm a lot. But, but let me tell you how you can love you and how I try to love me and, and ways to love yourself. And I made them all M's because I'm a preacher and I got two minutes and I'm done. The first one is mirror work. How do I love me? Mirror work. Number one, I look at myself in the mirror and I like what I see. And I accept what I can't change and work on what I can. If you black, you black. If you're short, you're short. Don't make no sense you fussing about being 5'7". You better roll with that 5'7 and kill it. Don't go putting on high heels, dude. Just roll with your 5'7 and look at her and be like, yeah, but let this 5'7 get on you and I'll show you what this 5'7 can do. You are only shook by me being 6'2 if you don't like you being 5'7. But if you feel yourself at 5'7, then you will be all right with being 5'7. And a woman will be blessed by you and your 5'7ness. That is my son in whom I am well pleased with his 5'7 self. Whole lot of folk walking around upset because they don't like what they see in the mirror. Does this make me look good? Does it make it, you look good to you? You know that don't fit. You know you can't wear that. You know they didn't make that in your size. Why are you asking me? What do you think? You have to look at you and like what you see. And if you don't like it, run. You don't like it, drink water. It's a dangerous world in which we want to hold everybody else accountable and responsible for the fact that we don't like us. I mean, I got you, I hear you, and there shouldn't be bullying, and there shouldn't be, but there's a whole lot of us that grew up on a bus where they cracked on you the whole ride. Anybody like me got cracked on the whole ride? I got cracked on the whole ride, because I was Poe, P-O, no O-R, Poe. My mother bought me five pairs of checker pants. It was like five pairs for a dollar. And they were rough and tough and checkered. And they're just waiting for me to get on that bus. As soon as I walk on, checker pants! I couldn't even laugh at nobody else. 
I don't know if you were that person where if you laughed at somebody else, even if you in the corner keeping your head down and you laugh, and they're like, I know you ain't laughing, check up ass. <laughs> Who am I talking to? I got cracked on all <laughs> to the fifth grade, to the sixth grade, because I didn't have, I didn't have Adidas. I had four stripes on my Adidas. Oh, help me, Holy Ghost. I had fake Adidas. I had zips. You see checker pants on me now? No, you don't. Sometimes when you go through a tough place, oh, I wish I had a witness. Sometimes folk talk about you and crack on you and tease you and make you feel bad about yourself. And sometimes it makes you get up out of your mess and decide you go make something of yourself. You, you go be somebody one of these days. People can't like you all the time. You have to do mirror work. I mean, let me finish. I'm over time. Number two, you have to do mentor work. They're all M's. I'm a preacher. Mirror work. This is how you love yourself. Mirror work. Number two, mentor work. You got to get around somebody that is where you want to go and be quiet and listen. They're rich. You need to shut up. They're successful. Stop talking. They own six houses. Be quiet. They, they have a successful business, then go sit with them and listen to them talk. Well, I'm going to have a business just like them. No, you're not if you don't know how to listen. Submit to somebody who is where you want them to be. You admire them, then stop talking and listen. Who do you admire? Try to get around them and listen to them. When you get in their presence, don't talk too much. Sit down and eat and take notes and keep your mouth shut and if there's something about you that they notice and comment on it fix it because that's how you love you we live in a dangerous world in which we don't like coaches and we don't like anybody telling us nothing real and we don't like nobody criticizing us in a positive way and we don't like nobody telling us something we need to do better and we only want love and praise. But it leads you to a place where you don't like you. You don't like you because no one sets a bar for you but you. It's a very unsettled place to be when you're the only one that sets a bar for yourself. You need somebody to come in and say, this is a house. You need somebody to come in and say, now that is a wife. You need somebody to come in and say, now that's how you raise a child. You need somebody to come in and say, now that is a good business plan. You think you only want what you want till you get it. You think you only want to be in charge of you till you get in charge. Hear me. Listen to somebody that's in charge. Once you get in charge, you want somebody to come in and say, no, that's good. No, no, that's a good plan. No, no, that's good. You need that. Mentor work is important. Number three is master work. All ends. Preacher, master work. Meaning you're going to have to read. You don't like yourself because you don't read. Deep down, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. 
Deep down, you know you're lying. Oh, help us. Deep down, you know you made that, stati that statistic up. 74% of all people who eat vitamins, no, you don't know. Because you don't read, you don't, you're not educated, you ain't done nothing. No, you're not. You're not building from within. You're building on a house of cards. You know how to hold the thing up to get the right angle to suck it all in so you look like you got a six pack, but you know you don't. You got to do mirror work. You got to do mentor work. You got to do master work. And number four, which is the hardest one, you have to do mediation work. It's on the screens. Mediation work. Meaning you have to forgive. You have to forgive. I will contend. If you're in this room and you want to be secure, you have to love you. Can love you if you hold in people. It's hard to love you when you hold in people. Let me tell you why. When you hold someone, you stay in that same space. You're holding. You can't move on holding them. Even if you try to, they're going to slope. There's many of us dragging around pains, Linda. We dragging around. We can't let go. So as long as you hold, you're stuck. And there's a lot of us holding people that ain't even thinking about us. Who am I talking to? They ain't even thinking about you and you holding them. You have to let them go. You have to forgive them. If you love yourself, you're not forgiving them for them. You're forgiving them for you. Two types of forgiveness I talk about. Distant forgiveness and intimate forgiveness. Distant forgiveness is I forgive you, but I don't trust you. Just because I forgive you doesn't mean I'm going to be in a relationship with you. I may forgive my molester, but I'm not letting them around my children. Oh, help us, Holy Ghost. I might forgive my abuser, but that don't mean they're going to get access to my next generation. All of you that dedicated babies today, if you know that there's folks around who are evil and wicked and ain't right, it is absolutely within your right as a parent to make sure that them evil people don't have any access to your seed. Oh, I need a witness in the, in the building. Our loyalty goes too far, and we subject our children to people that didn't do right with us. Now, you know if you left their house feeling like you weren't worth nothing, then the last thing you need to do is to allow that person to have too much access to your fragile baby. Well, that's my mama. Well, just because that's your mama don't mean that she should have access to your child. She needs supervised visitation with you there the whole time. And expand your oikos and get some, some expanded family and get yourself some good folk that can help you and raise your child in the right way because just because you forgave them don't mean you have to trust them. Who am I talking to? 
especially if they did not say they were sorry. Distant forgiveness is for people who aren't sorry. Distant forgiveness is for people who don't repent. They ain't never said nothing to you, and you forgive them anyway because you need to let them go. Then there's intimate forgiveness. Intimate forgiveness is you say you're sorry. They say, I'm sorry. You say, okay. You forgive them. They repent, and they are working on changing. And as you see them changing, you're like, okay, now we can be intimate and close to one another because I'm not going to allow you access to me if you're going to continually stab me. I mean, I know you're my uncle and all, but you ain't going to stab me every week. And intimate forgiveness is important for this last point, and I'm done, and that is self-forgiveness. I will contend that one of the hardest people to forgive is yourself. That's my hand is up right now. When I lay down at night and close my eyes, the devil mostly attacks me with what I did wrong. Who am I talking to? He tries to tell me that I'm not worth nothing. He tries to tell me that I don't qualify. He tries to tell me that God's grace is not sufficient for me. But I came to set everybody free this morning and tell everybody the devil is a liar. His grace is sufficient. His mercy endures forever, and you have to forgive yourself because not a nobody in here is perfect. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I need a, a nice loud amen on that one so that everybody in here who's feeling the most guilty and the most bad can know that they are sitting next to somebody who know what sin is. We all know what sin is. Say amen. We all know what sin is. And all of us got some sin we like. Be honest in the room. Go ahead and comment. All of us got some sin we had to be set free from. Because sin is fun at the time. Amen light bulbs. And you have got to forgive yourself. You will never be able to be secure enough to love somebody else if you haven't forgiven yourself. Forgive yourself for the fact that you didn't finish college. And then you won't end up saying something passive aggressive to your child about the fact that they think they're so smart just because they went to college. Your issue is with you. Oh, help us, Holy Ghost. Oh, so now since you've got your masters, now you can't be my friend. Who said that? Your problem is you are insecure about your level of education. And now you are projecting your insecure issues on me. And we can't be as close because you feel like I'm looking down on you. But the one who's really looking down on you is you. Well, I got to stop this. This is just too much. If you don't love you, then you will infect every relationship you have if you don't love you. Love yourself first. And we love God because he first loved us. I think one of the biggest mistakes we made in the church world is we told everybody that the whole point is love God, love God, love God, love God, love God, love God, love God. And I'm not saying you shouldn't love God, but the Lord is not insecure. 
We've painted God as insecure. He just needs praise every second. He needs praise every. He just needs praise. He needs praise to Jesus. Thank you, thank you. He just needs praise all the time. Actually, the reason why the Lord wants you to love Him is because He loves you. He loves you first. Since He loves you, you love Him back. Then He loves you more. And then you say to yourself, Lord, if you love me like that, I must be lovable. I must be somebody for you to send your son to die for me. I must be lovable. Put your hands together if you heard a word from the Lord this morning. Can I get you to give? I know I'm over time. Can I get you to give? Can I get you to just give in this building fund offering? Yes, we are taking up a building fund offering. It was old school Sunday anyway. So we're taking up a building fund offering. I need to give you the I need you to give the best gift you can give. We are fast approaching, breaking ground on our land, and uh, we are moving forward with our building plan. We're about to build this victory park going to cost about 15 million dollars right now the construction company has been a little hesitant to give us a hard number on the construction just because of covid and the impact that it has on the construction costs they're saying somewhere between 15 to 18 million dollars let's say it's 15 million dollars we need 10% of that, 50% of that, 20% of that. We need $3 million. And we've had really great pledges. And uh, I think our pledges are approaching $3 million. I really want to say that just in faith. Believe in God. I don't know my brother's in the corner. I'm not even looking over there. But I need you to pledge. I'm not looking, Joe need you to make a pledge if you I know we're trying to build this building in the middle of the pandemic anybody believe that we can build this thing in the middle of this most difficult no we gonna really know it's God when we don't have three services jammed out in this room there was a time when we jammed this room three times that we gonna really know this was God that did this for all of you that are in the room with us this morning for everyone watching around the world if you have not made a pledge I need you to make a pledge I'm looking at one of my top 250,000 I need you to give the word says give and it shall be given unto you again I need you not just to give what you can give I need you to give in faith I need you to give in faith as you're taking a picture of that of that code I need you to give in faith what I mean by that is I need you to make a pledge that it's going to take faith for you to pay it I'm just going to make everybody in the room say amen whether you agree just say amen I need you to make a pledge that it's going to take for you to pay it if you thought to yourself oh yeah I can afford five thousand oh, I pledge five thousand dollars I can afford that that's what you can do I want you to believe God with me that make a pledge that you will say, God gonna have to do something for me to make for, for me to pay that pledge. God gonna have to do something for me, and believe that God will make a way for you to pay your pledge. God will open a door for you. God will give you that deal. God will get you a whole new. God will get you a whole nother thing. It'll take God. You you're a little uncomfortable with that pledge, and then you'll put God in a situation where, for Him. To answer you will be empowering you to pay on the pledge that you made. But I'm believing 
God has called us to do this kingdom work together. And I need your help. So if you haven't made a pledge, I need you to make a pledge. And you can donate towards Victory Park. Everything that you're giving in this second offering is going to it if you're watching around the world, wherever you may be. Well, I don't live in North Carolina. Well, that's all right. We are the universal body of Christ. And everything you give goes into the kingdom. You will be helping us together in God's kingdom. We have been in the North Carolina area for 19 years. World Overcomers is 19 years old. We have been in these lease spaces. We have gotten thousands of people saved. We have baptized thousands and thousands of people. We have dedicated thousands of babies. We dedicated a thousand babies today. That's why we over. We had 10 babies to dedicate for 19 years. And now it's time for us to get out of these spaces that we lease, own something that's ours, and it's going to generate its own income. It's going to impact the community. It's not going to just be for the church. When you walk in the doors, there's going to be a lobby, going to be a basketball court, a basketball court, a basketball court, a basketball court, and then a sanctuary that looks like this in the back, on the side. Folk will walk through all the courts to get to the sanctuary. I can even imagine us having church and there's practices going on while we having church. Folks, kids are in a practice and drift on in and, and sit in the back and hear God and get to know him and sense his presence. I'm believing for a counseling center that's there that not only will give spiritual counseling, but give counseling to the sickness of the soul. I have a vision where somebody 28 can walk into the counseling center and go to guidance counseling and sit down with somebody and say, I might have blown it when I was 15, but I want to get my life together. And I want somebody to lay out a plan for me of the Clark so that I can know what I can do next. And we can connect you with resources that will get you to get your life together because it's never too late. I want us to do that. I want black people to do it. And if you're watching whatever, whatever race you may be, come help us. But I want it to be something that we do together. I need your help. I have a vision. And the best is yet to come. Come on, let's pray. God, I thank you for every gift, every giver. I thank you for every millionaire. I thank you for every business owner. I thank you for everyone that's made a pledge. I thank you for everyone that's making another one. I thank you for everyone that's watching around the world. I thank you, God, that you are causing us to look at our feet, order our steps. Take this offering and multiply it supernaturally to the upbuilding of your kingdom. And we're believing you for so much more. More than ever before. Thank you for Victory Park. Thank you, Lord, that we're going to get in there on time. Thank you, Lord God, for everything we need is in you. In you we live and move and have our being. Have your way in us. In Jesus' name. We all said together, God bless you as you give. It's the bucket pastor. You can just jump on your feet. You can give through. Of course, you can give online. Just jump on your feet. Try not to run out the door. I'm going to let you go. I know we're a little bit over. It's okay. Biscuitville don't close till 2. 2? Pastor Tyrus knows. First Wednesdays. So we're bringing Wednesday nights back, but it'll just be first Wednesdays. So first Wednesday starting in March, we're going to have baptism. We have hundreds of people signed up to be baptized. 
So we're going to have an awesome, tremendous baptism service. You want to come and be a part of that. And next Sunday, I'll be finishing up this Insecure series. Starting in March, I'm going to be starting a series on anxiety, depression. And um, so you should let folks know about that. Anybody that you know that's dealing with anxiety, I'm going to be dealing with it, not just from a spiritual perspective, but from a psychological perspective. And uh, we got to get over this. We rebuke COVID in the name of Jesus. No more masks, no more sickness, no more disease. Give the gatekeepers just a few more minutes. Just to thank you so much for your giving. Thank you for your generosity. You pay your tithes and your tithes belong to God, but then your offering is what you give above and beyond your tithes. That's your generosity. And the word says that God will make you rich so that you can be generous. Only reason why God is interested in you being rich is for generosity's sake. You sit around praying for God to make you rich, directly connected to your generosity. Anybody just want to be able to be so rich you could be generous? Who am I talking to? I asked a question. I was watching a video. I'm going to let you go. I'm just letting them clear. I was watching a video with Shaquille O'Neal. Shaq just walk around blessing people. Walk in a Walmart and walk up to a kid and say, do you have a bike? kid said, no, I don't have a bike. It almost makes me teary. Go ask your mom if I could buy you a bike. That's rich and generous. You get to a certain amount of rich, people won't like you if you ain't generous. God said he'll make you rich so you can be generous on every occasion. All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much for our time together. Thank you, Lord, how much we receive. Thank you for that awesome group, the awesome choir that came and led us into the throne of grace through an old school service. It was so awesome. We need to do it again, and we praise you for it. Thank you for all the babies that were dedicated. Thank you for the praise and the worship. Thank you for this moment, the anointing. Thank you for your word that sheds light in our lives, dismisses from this place, but never from your presence, covers with your blood. Bring us back, God, on next Sunday, and then, God, first Wednesday in March, and, and all that you're doing and leading us and guiding us, and we promise to bless you, and we ask you to bless your people. Make your face shine upon your people. Be gracious to your people. Give them peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, we all sit together. God bless you. Greet somebody in the name of the Lord. Thanks so much for coming to worship with us today. Thanks so much for tuning in today. God bless you.